Well, what a special time of prayer and worship. It was special to see the church sprinkled throughout the room praying. Some of the church gathered around uh, the Dahl family, and uh, what a blessing they have been. Uh, we came to Choice around the same time. I think we came just before you, Lars, and your family, but I still remember uh, meeting you in your first uh, couple Sundays here. And I remember one of the things you shared, you, one, you didn't know the church was here, uh, but when you did find the church, I don't know if you saw a sign or what, but you came back here, and one of your first impressions, I don't know if you still remember this, was was the grounds and how the grounds was cared for and how God's house was decent and order and attractive and beautiful. And we just praise God for those uh, that work behind the scenes in those ministries. And I, I praise the Lord for Lars' ministry. He's had a servant's heart. Yeah, he's, of course, recently helped us with an online church, but he's been a little bit of everywhere over the last uh, couple years. As we came to the church around the same time, just about three uh, years ago, maybe a little more, a little less, uh, I think about when Pastor Tim, and by the way, for your first time here, I'm not Pastor Tim. He's finishing up vacation. I'm just filling in, uh, buying him a few extra days of R&R, and he'll be back with us very shortly. Uh, he's spending some precious time with his family in Florida. We look forward to him coming back here soon. But I was uh, thinking that when he came, I knew it was in the 90s. I texted him this morning. I said, hey, when, when did you come to Stafford? When did you come to the Fredericksburg area? He said 1992. And I believe that's the year the church started. We're almost at the church's 30th anniversary. I've known Pastor Tim since uh, around 2000. So most of that time, I was trying to think back to the area in 1992. Was anyone in the Fredericksburg Stafford area in 1992? No. All right, a couple. All right, I, I, we, might be, we might be single digit on the hands there. I came in 1995. I remember my grandmother and my uncle moved uh, from Prince George's County, Maryland. They said, hey, we're going to go out in the country. We're going to go to the middle of nowhere. And we're just going to get away from everything. And we're going to go down to this little quaint town called Fredericksburg. And that's where we're going to move. And they did that in the 80s and um, around 1990. I think my grandmother moved down here. In 1995, when I came down, it was still... Yeah, pretty, pretty small area. I think the only thing going on the town had that I, at least I can remember at that age, I was a teenager, is uh, Spotsylvania Mall. And just the idea of moving to a place that had an area called Spotsylvania just reminded me of Transylvania. I said, this place is strange. It's quaint. It's the middle of nowhere. I don't know if anyone else had that feeling like, who named this Spotsylvania? Uh, later, I, f I found out through history, it's actually named after Spotswood, Governor Spotswood, one of our early governors in the area. Uh, but anyways, uh, we have this small little world town, and when Pastor Tim came, and when some of you were here 30 years ago plus, we were in a different place. Uh, this area was, was much different. If you think about just the growth uh, in the area during that time, if you've spanned that time, you know it has been incredible. I mean, our growth has quadrupled uh, since the early 90s. In fact, uh, we recently did a demographic uh, study of our community as a part of our church consultation to find out, hey, let's try to find out and see if we can know a little bit more about our community that is ever-changing around us here in this uh, Stafford area, Fredericksburg area that we find ourselves in. And so we say, hey, we want to find out everyone that lives within 15 minutes drive of the church, who are they? What are they like? How many of them are there? And we kind of peeked back, at least I did, back to the early era of the church in 1992 to see how much the area has changed. You know, when Pastor Tim and Paula came uh, to this area of Stafford to start this church from scratch in 1992, there was only about uh, 
five to 7,000 people. If you fast forward to just uh, 2,000, 20 years ago, there's about 10,000 people. And here we are within a 15 minute drive time. That's, that number has more than tripled. We have over 30,000 people just within a short little 15 minute drive of the church, over 10,000 homes. And the community is projected to continue to grow and grow. And if some of you, you say, hey, I moved here to get away from that and I'll be moving soon. And we hate, we hate to see you move. We hate to see anyone move, but we understand that. But as a church, the church isn't going to pack up a move. That's just not what churches do, right? We don't say, hey, well, you know, we're going to go somewhere where there's less people. That's not what churches do. Now, there's one church, actually, Craig's Baptist Church in Spotsylvania. That is a unique story. In the 1800s, they did that. They packed up, and they say, hey, we're going west. And most of the church, like 80% of the church, a couple hundred people went to the western frontier. Uh, but they did it for mission's sake. They were going to go and start mission work to all the people going. But that's not what churches do. Churches don't say, hey, we're going to pack up and we're going to go where less people are. <laughs> and I know it's, there's a conflict of prayer, right? We talked about prayer last week. Uh, sometimes people are praying. I can remember this when I was pastoring a church for 14 years. We had a Walmart coming to a rural area. And let me tell you, no one likes Walmart coming. But once Walmart's there, everyone loves it. Everyone uses it. But I tell you what, people thought Walmart. They were praying. People, we'd have prayer meetings. People say, we got to pray Walmart doesn't come. If Walmart comes, I mean, people are going to be coming. We're going to have congested roads and our taxes are going to go up. And all those things are true. <laughs> they just are. They're all true, right? But as a church, we're sitting here praying. It's like, well, that means more people. That means we can share the gospel with more people. That means we can knock on more doors and we can minister to more people. And there's this, there's this conflict, right? It always is uh, of growth in the community, in the church. And I know the same thing's true here. There's, there's like this mix of excitement, like, hey, Stat Joe Stafford in Fredericksburg is projected to be the fastest growing areas of all of Virginia over the next five years. And I know some of you are sitting here like, oh, please, God, no. <laughs> if I have to sit on 17 for 30 minutes to get on 95 South on a weeknight, I'm done, all right? I'm gone. I know you're there. But then the church, like, you don't know this, but in the staff meetings, we're like, wow, we're going to have more people to minister to. This is going to be exciting, right? And then we get a 95, and then we've got the conflict of interest, right? And so that's, that's just how it works. But that's where we're at. That's just the reality. And this is where God has placed the church providentially 30-some years ago, almost 30 years ago, 1992. Things were quite a bit different uh, 30 years ago. And our area has changed. Our demographics have changed. And, and even the ages, you know, the median age in our community is, is about 36 years old. But about half our population is millennial or younger. About half of our population. You know, so rural area, you think it'd be a little bit older, but things are changing rapidly. Did you know that minorities make up over 40% of our community? Things are changing and growing faster. And what do we do as a church? We've got to know our community. If we're going to impact our community, if we're going to reach our community, we have to roll up our sleeves and get in and find out what is actually taking place. What are the needs of our community? Who is in our community? How can we connect with them? How can we love them? And how can we share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, I'm not sure if you're up to date on all these age brackets, but I just wanna do this just for our own entertainment purposes. If you don't wanna raise your hand, that's fine. I just wanna get a glimpse of, of who we have with us this morning online. Maybe you can comment where you're at in these demographics if you feel uh, so led. One of the older generations is called the greatest generation. Now, I don't know if they name this themselves. You got the baby boomers come right after them, but the oldest generation is called the greatest generation. I don't know 
they had to create the study in, in all these lines because they called themselves the greatest generation. In our area, it's only 4%. These are those uh, born 1945 and earlier. I know we've got just a few of those in our ministry. I don't know if there's anyone here today. All right, 1945 and earlier. <laughs> Roger, good to see you, brother, this morning. All right, 4% of our community. The greatest generation ever. Do you agree with that, Roger? Greatest generation ever? I'm sure, I'm sure you do. We move on to the baby boomers. The baby boomers make up 20% of our community right here. 15 minute drive time, 1946 and 1964. How many baby boomers we got with us this morning? All right. Great generation. Great. Okay. You're going to argue. You and Roger can debate over the greatest generation. All right. Then we get generation X. I'm barely in here, but I'm in generation X. This is 1965 to 1980. This is 21% of our community. Those born 1965 to 1980. All right, Generation X. I don't know why we got that name, but that's what we are, Generation X. And then millennials, love them or hate them. There's a lot of people that say bad stuff about millennials. Of course, millennials love millennials. 26%, this is our, this is our biggest uh, population, demographic-wise, 1981 to 1998. How many of you would fall in that category? You're a millennial, 26%. All right. Decent population. And then we get down to Generation Z, 1999 to 2016. Got a couple of those here. Yeah. The most spirited generation right here, sitting down in front together, hanging out. And then we get to Alpha Generation, born 2017 to present. All right, no one's, no one's in here this morning. That's, that's the gamut. But you know what? Gen, uh, the generation of millennials is our greatest population. Of course, just before that and after that, we have a great mix. And we normally would think of the millennials as, hey, those are those young teens or college-age people, but that was like 10 years ago. You know who the millennials are today? The millennials are those that are raising uh, families. Uh, the millennials are those that have children, that are mature, that have jobs, that are building our community and are very influential in our area. And that is our, our, our greatest segment of our population. Uh, here within a 15-minute drive time of the church. You know what that means as far as ministry goes? One of our biggest ministry opportunities when we look at our demographics is, is the children and the youth of our community. Over a third of all the population in our area is 18 and younger. Massive population of children's ministry, of outreach opportunities, of ministering to moms and dads and navigate parenting and, and share the love of Jesus with them. I mean, how much better would it be to have Jesus in the mix of your marriage, Jesus in the mix of your child rearing, Jesus in the mix of your children's lives as they navigate school and temptations and trials and peer pressure and all these things. And here we are as the church in the mix of this community with the greatest news ever, with the greatest God ever, with hope, with healing, with a message of salvation and a message of following Jesus, a message of victory. And here we are, God's positioned us in this opportunity and, and it's okay, we can still be upset about 95. I didn't wanna say gripe or complain, but it's, I think it's okay to be agitated when you pull up on 17 and 95 is backed up. I think it's okay to be agitated about the traffic and some of these things around here, but here's, here's what we ought to look at, maybe put a different lens on as a church, and we say, well, what are we gonna do to reach these people that God is sending to our community and to our area? And this morning, I just wanna share a few questions to get us thinking. Questions help me think a little bit, and maybe they will this morning as well, but I wanna, I wanna share briefly seven questions to help us make an impact, to help us be a difference maker 
in our local community when it comes to, to local missions. And this is, a, this is a fitting Sunday. We are wrapping up our series that Pastor started a while back on the church. Last week we talked about prayer, and we've been talking about the summer ministry of praying and going. Well, today I want to talk about this part of going. And to put this into practice, uh, our invitation, so to speak, is, is Lars and your family, you are, you are going. This is your last uh, Sunday, and we are talking about going into the mission field, but not all of us are packing up and going to Wisconsin. Uh, we're staying right here, but how can we go where we're at? Seven questions to help us be a difference maker. And, and really what I want to do in this time is, is battle uh, some false beliefs that we normally have about going. To battle some false beliefs that we have as a church sometimes about reaching into our community. Let's go through these in somewhat rapid fire this morning. What do you believe about outreach? What do you believe about outreach? You know, some people look at outreach and they say, hey, that's, uh, that's something the church should do, right? We look at passages like Mark 16, 15, where it says, and, and he said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone, right? It's pretty clear. What do we believe about outreach? We say, yeah, that's something the church ought to do, but we distance ourselves from it sometimes. We say that's something that someone that's gifted or outgoing or talented or someone who has time uh, should do. You know, when we look at our demographics, we know one thing, that time is a scarcity, right? Everyone's busy. Average commute time over an hour, busyness of activities in life. We know if most of the folks in our community have families and children, we already know that that is a busy life schedule. Adding into the commute, most families having two uh, folks working full-time in the household. And we say, where does, where does time come, to the, come into the equation? Because outreach takes time, it takes investment. What do we believe about outreach? Let me suggest two things that we are to believe. One, we ought to believe that we are a going believer. We are a going believer. What do I mean by that? I think of the Deuteronomy passage that says, you know, how we ought to teach our children. Sometimes we think is we need to have this neat structured time where we say, all right, during this time, we're going to teach them about this. And it's a class and it's formal. But Deuteronomy just tells, hey, you know, as you go through your day, just remember to point this out and to say this and to teach this. And as, as believers, we ought to remember that if we're busy, that means we're already on the go. Just what is our mission while we're going? What is our mission while we're going to the store, while we're going to our neighbor's house, while we're going to work, while we're sitting on 95 or 17, going wherever we're going? What is our mission? Now, as a believer, we gotta take a step back, right? And look beyond just that day and that moment. You say, well, my mission this day is just to survive. <laughs> my mission this day is to make it to Costco on Route 3, or my mission today is to make it to work on time. Step back, right? You're a believer, if you are, if your faith is in Christ, you, you know, your mission and my mission is pretty similar. It's to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and all that we do. And if that is our mission for the day, we've got to step back and ask ourselves, well, how can I bring glory to God in this moment, in this commute, in this visit with this neighbor? In, in the place that God has placed me, how can I bring glory to God? And if time you look at time in the equation, you say, well, I don't necessarily have time to do this over here or that over there, but listen, we all have the same amount of time and we all are on the go. And this is what we have to believe, that we are a going believer. We are a going believer, that we are on the go and as we go, we go with the mission of Jesus Christ. We are a going believer. I think about this as well, that sometimes we say, well, I don't necessarily have the ability or uh, the talent or the giftedness, but this is what you need to believe and I need to believe as well, is not only are we a going believer, but we have the power to go. We have the power to go. 
I think of Acts chapter one, verse eight. But you shall, you will receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. None of us can sit back and say, well, I don't have the ability. I don't have the time. I don't have the power. Listen, Jesus has given us the power and the command to be on the go, to be on the move, and the ability because the Holy Spirit lives inside of each of us. God's Spirit is in us, and he can prompt us to say the right thing at the right time. Now, we all know what it's like to live in the flesh. We say the wrong thing at the wrong time to the wrong person in the flesh. But when we're walking in the Spirit, we have the power and the ability to encourage and to edify and point people to Jesus. But it is a false belief we have that says, ah, that's just not my thing. This is not my ability. It's just not my gifting. Listen, we all have the power because if your faith is in Jesus, you have his Spirit living inside of you. Listen, believe this, believe this, that you are changing lives as you go. I love this passage in Matthew 25. It reminds me of some of the ministries that we've had over the years at Choice. Matthew 25, verse 35 through 40 says, I was hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when, when did you see us hungry and fed us or thirsty and we gave you drink? When saw you as a stranger and took you in? When did we see you naked and clothed you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and came to visit you? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Listen, believe that your ministry even though you may not be in a crowd, even though you may be on your own ministering to someone, loving someone, giving to someone, meeting someone's need, that Jesus takes note of our service and that our service makes a difference. Even if no one else sees it, even if no one else notices that act of kindness, that act of sacrifice, but you go out of your way to minister the love of Christ to someone, listen, it makes a difference. And Jesus notices it. Here's, here's question two. Question two, what do you believe about the gospel? You see, sometimes a church isn't a going church and we aren't going believers because of a, of a false understanding of the gospel itself. You see, the gospel is, is good news. And I don't know about you, but when I have good news, I want uh, to share it. And sometimes I don't have bad news. I like to share that too because I like pity and I like attention, right? <laughs> That's what we do. So we just like to share bad news. But listen, when it comes to good news, it's something that we ought to be excited about. So what do we believe about the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for our sins and rose again? Let me remind us, and I know I'm preaching maybe some to the choir this morning, but let me remind us of this. What we ought to believe about the gospel is believe that it is the power of God. Why do I mention the power again? In that first question, Sometimes we don't believe we have the power or the ability to share it. But listen, it's, it's not us, right? It's the spirit who lives in us. And it's not our message, it's his message that is powerful. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God. Do you believe that you have the power of the Spirit of God living in you? Do you believe that you have one of the most powerful messages that has changed the world and turned it upside down, the power of the gospel? Let's not sit on it. What do you believe about the gospel? Listen, believe this morning that the gospel is the power of God 
of God. Here's the third question. I tell you these are rapid fire because I got to get to seven. We're only halfway through. What do you believe about the lost? What do you believe about those who do not know Jesus Christ? You say, Pastor, I don't like to think about that one, (laughs) right? Those without Christ, what do we believe about them? Romans 10, 14 reminds us, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear? Listen, what is the need of those that are without Christ? Their need is the gospel and their need is God's people to, to, to come into their life and minister to them and, and love them. Their need is God's spirit to work in their life. Why is that? Because those without Jesus Christ, as hard as it is to say, as hard as this is to comprehend, but the Bible tells us that they will spend eternity in a place called the lake of fire. That they will spend an eternity without Christ. Because the Bible says that we're dead in our sins without Jesus, that we're trapped and there's no way out. There's only one way out. And that brings us to the fourth question this morning. And some of these come by way of reminder, right? But, but what do you believe this morning about Christ? And I'm going somewhere with this because if, if we believe and affirm these questions that I'm posing to us, it ought to bring us back into our mind that, that man, we ought, if that's what I believe, I ought to be doing something about it. If this is truly what our church believes, then we ought to be doing something about it. What do you believe about Christ? Listen, this morning, let me encourage you to believe and to hold on to this truth that, that Jesus is the only way. I know this sounds narrow-minded, Some will say this sounds bigoted, that I have a closed mind belief. But John 14, 6 in the scriptures from the lips of Jesus says this. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe that about Jesus? Because let me tell you, I know there's some sister churches in our community and we fellowship with them and we do things with them. But there's no one outside of the church. I'm not saying just choice, but there's no one outside the church that holds this belief and it's gonna share that message with the community. Right? It's, it's just us. It's just, it's just us. It's just us that know Jesus that believe that. And if, if we're the ones that believe that, and no one else does, no one else is sharing it, right? And if, if the 30,000 people that are gonna be 35,000 people in like two years or three years, and they're gonna become 40,000, you say, Pastor, I'll be long gone by then. Well, I'll tell you what's gonna happen. You're gonna move somewhere else to a rural area, right? And then everyone else is gonna be like, that place is awesome. No one lives here, it's beautiful. And they're all gonna do that. And 10 years later, you'll be back in the same boat. That's what's gonna happen. I've seen it happen all the time. If you can stay ahead of the curve, maybe you'll beat that out, right? But listen, there's no one else in our community besides the church and God's people that believe that Jesus is the only way. And that means the only people that are sharing this message is gonna be the church. But the challenge is, is not everyone in the church is sharing this message. Oh, we say we believe that Jesus is the only way. But friends, is the spirit of God prompting us? Oh, I believe he is to share it. But are we willing to obey and enter into relationship and fellowship with people that do not believe this or do not understand who have never been told clearly that Jesus is the way of salvation? You know, John 1 verse 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You see, Jesus is God. Jesus is the only way. And in John 1 14, the Bible tells us that, that Jesus 
the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, who is, who is Jesus? Now, I know I'm talking to the church for the most part this morning, but who is Jesus? <laughs> Jesus is the Son of God, God himself, who came from heaven to earth, died on the cross, rose again, and who claimed that he's the only one that could pay for our sins. He is the only way. And listen, do we believe that this morning as a church? Are we gonna share that as God's people? Because no one else is waiting to share that message. It's just us. All right, here's the fifth question. We're getting here. What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about yourself? In regards to going and being a going believer, what do you believe about yourself? Let's get personal for just a moment. Did you know this, that, that every one of us, every one of us is blessed with a gift? God has gifted each and every one of us. I think of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. This is what we got to believe. You got to believe that we have a gift that God can use. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11 says, As every man has received the gift, well, what are we to do with that gift? Read on. Even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God gives him, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Now, I need this reminder, you need this reminder, that as we get so busy doing what we're doing every day of life, that we forget that God has given us this gift. It's a gift to serve others with. And maybe, maybe your gift is different than mine, but I know this, we all have a spiritual gift that God's given us from the moment of salvation. The Spirit of God has given us something to use for his glory. We've got natural gifts, right? There's just things that you're naturally good at. And you can be a little inquisitive and a little creative and say, hey, I'm naturally good at this. How can I use this to bless other people and point them to Jesus? Maybe you've got some experiences, uh, maybe some hard experiences in life. And you might say, out of a genuine spirit to point others to Jesus, how can I use this experience that I have gone through? Maybe it's traumatic. Maybe it's difficult, involves messy relationships. Maybe it involves pain and suffering or sorrow. But maybe you'd step up and say, I've got this experience. How can I point other people to Jesus with this experience? You see, we have a community that is, that is waiting for the people of God who believe in the gospel of God, who believe in Jesus, the son of God, that are willing to point the way and love them and not stand up on a podium or a platform and, and condemn and point, but to get involved personally in their lives, to get to know our neighbors and our community and to love and to sacrifice and to serve. You see, what do you believe about yourself? Do you believe that you have a gift and a calling? Listen, believe that your gift is a light that leads to the gospel. Believe that this morning, that your gift is a light that leads to the gospel. I know this, the Bible says that one day we're all gonna stand before God and we're gonna give an account for what we've done with the gifts that God has given us, that we're stewards of them, that we weren't given these gifts just to sit on a shelf, but, but we battle these things, right? We have negative self-thoughts, we, we have uh, negative beliefs, and the only way to overcome false beliefs and negative beliefs is, is with the truth. And that's why I'm posing each of these questions with the truth as the answer. Listen, you might believe this morning that you don't have a gift and you might be sitting there saying, I don't know what I can do. I can do nothing. You might even say that strongly. 
But I want you to know that you have a gift, that God's blessed you with a gift, and that you need to believe this morning that your gift is a light that leads to the gospel. You see, there's people that you can be a light to that I'll never be a light to. There's people that you'll come in contact with frequently and intimately and personally that no other believer may come in contact with. Believe your gift is a light that leads to the gospel. Listen, you don't have to open your mouth to every person you see and say, let me tell you about Jesus and that he died for you and he rose again. Listen, it may just start with loving someone and helping them with something at their house. It may just be for having someone over for dinner and getting, getting to know them. It may be volunteering at something local in your community. Maybe just checking on an elderly person or a young single mom and seeing if you can help and be a blessing. Listen, it's just being a loving person with the loving hands of Jesus, his church. For what purpose? Because we're a light that's leading to the gospel. All right, here's question six, and I'm running out of time. Question six. What do you believe about the church? See, pastors preached this series over the last month and a half or so about what is the church? And we've got a, a lot of false beliefs about what the church is. Our community believes one thing about the church. People in the church believe another. And from church to church, you may find all kinds of different ideas. And I'm not here to exhaustively answer the question, what is the church? I do want to ask this question, what do we believe about the church? Let me give you two things to believe this morning. Of course, we could add to this, but to, to stay focused on the topic at hand. Believe these two things about the church. Believe the church is to gather, right? We talked about that all during COVID. We got we to gather. We couldn't gather. It was, it was unsafe for a season to gather. And so we got creative and we, we had all these guidelines and we met in person differently. We met online, which is totally different. But listen, we need to believe this, that the church is to gather. But think about this. The church is called to gather because the rest of the time they're called to go. <laughs> think about that for a moment. We spend a lot of time focusing on the gathering. But you know, one of the signs of an unhealthy church is that that's all they do is they just gather. They don't ever go. You know, a church is never gonna grow if they don't go. A church is never gonna impact their community if they don't go. But the church is called to gather. Why is the church called to gather? The church is called to gather because the rest of the time, the church is called to go. And that's my second belief statement for you this morning about this question. What do we believe about the church? Believe the church is the gather. We ought to be here. The Bible says, listen, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves to gather as the manner of some is. But listen, we ought to believe this. Believe the church is to go. I believe that was a theme for choice just a few years ago, right? The church has left the building. Maybe it was 2018, 2017, the church theme. Do we believe that this morning? Do we believe that the church is to go? The Great Commission makes it clear. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, go. That's the first word. We could stop right there. Go, go. Go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. He says, go, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Let me challenge our beliefs as a church this morning, that we are to gather, and this is precious, and we ought to pray together, and that's important, and we ought to lift our voices together, and that is special. But let me tell you, we ought to gather, but the rest of the time we ought to be on the go, and not just with the busyness of life, but we ought to be on the go with the love 
of Jesus. Last question, we're done. What do you believe about your community? What do you believe about your community? We say the community is just a place I live. I live in this house here, and then I do my church stuff. I do my work stuff, and there's really not much time to know anything else about my community. It really doesn't matter to me. That's, that's how we live our lives, right? How many of us know our neighbors, know what is going on in our community, who the people are, what the needs are? What do you believe about your community? Philippians 2.4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That's our community. Believe this this morning about your community, that you are to know your community. Believe that you are to know your neighbor. I love that verse in Philippians. It reminds us to be selfless, not selfish. Believe that you are to know your community. Believe that you are to know your neighbor. This is probably going back almost 10 years ago, but a local pastor approached me and he said, you know, I want to start a free health clinic. And I thought to myself, I was like, why do we need that? Like, we got Affordable Care Act. Uh, we've got people that have health insurance. And he said, ah, there's, I, just, I feel led to start this health clinic. And I, I thought in the back of my mind, I don't know if we need that. But what I didn't know is that this pastor actually had done his homework and he knew the community. <laughs> he was probably a little more, more involved and in tune with the community than I was. And he found out that even with the Affordable Care Act and even though uh, employers were supposed to offer coverage, if you worked a certain amount of hours, that there was this gap, right? There's this gap of people. And there was a large gap of people in our community. They didn't have dental, didn't have health care. And he said, I want to start a free health clinic and I want to do it in the name of Jesus. I want to minister to people. I want to love them and we want to meet their needs. And he shared a personal story with me about his family, how his family had gone through uh, a medical crisis. His dad was a pastor. They didn't have a lot of money. They didn't have insurance. And it just impressed his life that this was the idea in, his, in the back of his head for some time. Well, came around to starting the clinic and we did our demographics, we did our studies and, and the clinic has taken off. There, there are people in our community, even in this day with all the advances of our government and healthcare and all the jobs they offer, there's, there's still a segment in the community that we lived in that wasn't uh, being able to get access to, to healthcare or dental care. And we've since started a dental, a free dental clinic. And what we've seen is just some amazing things from the community. When we were able to find out what are the needs of the community, who lives in our community, and administer to them and love them, we're able to see God do some amazing things. My question for you this morning is, is are we willing to answer the call to be on the go? Because we're on the go no matter what, but what is our mission as we go? Father in heaven, we just come before you this morning. We're grateful that we can gather together as the church today. Lord, you love us. You've called us, and Lord, we've lifted our voices together today. We've prayed together today. We've opened up the word and read your scriptures together. In a moment, we'll give to your work and we'll be dismissed and we'll be on our way. But Lord, as we've gathered today, help us not to forget that when we leave this place, when we walk out these doors and we get in our vehicle, that, that we are on the go, whether we recognize it or not. But Lord, the question is, is are we, are we focused on our mission as your people when we're on the go? Do we believe that we're gifted, that we're called, that we're empowered, that we can make a difference in our community? 
a community that is rapidly changing and growing right before us. Lord, help us not to be ignorant, to stick our heads in the sand, to ignore, to be blind to the community of who they are and what their needs are. Lord, help us to be inspired. Help us to know that we're called, that we're empowered to make a difference. Lord, that's our dream. That's our vision as a church, to impact lives for God's glory. Lord, we pray that you would use us, that we'd step forward this morning, be willing to be used by you for this end, for this purpose. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.